folks. Welcome to another installment of The Bright Side, episode four. As usual, I'm joined today by Jim from High and Wide. Jim, how are we doing today? Doing awesome. Excited for another show, guys. Likewise. And we're also having the pleasure of being joined today by Stefan Rosner. He's the co-host of the BS Sports Show and a writer for the Puck Pros and an Islander fan. Uh, Stefan, how are we doing? I'm in enemy territory, but I'm doing good. I'm prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily on this show, I mean, we try to stay as positive as possible. We're, We're two nice guys, so... We're gonna have a, a good show here. Looking forward to finally talking to you, Stefan. It's been a we've been trying to get you on for a couple of weeks. Finally, we uh, we've we've had the opportunity to talk to you now, so should be a good episode. The listeners should be excited. We're gonna have some good stuff to talk about. Definitely excited as well. So why don't we just yeah, jump I right some, in? I have some things for you. Yeah, let's do it. Now go ahead, Josh. My man, go ahead. All right, let's let's uh, let's get into this trot system because it was the biggest storyline going into the season. It's been the biggest storyline in hockey, and just so happens you guys get matched up against the Washington Capitals, and you know the storyline there. So what is it about Barry Trotz that makes a team so effective, uh, especially the Islanders, who are pretty much running that same deep core they were running under uh, Doug Waite, and it's 10 times more effective. I think they kept out, what, 102 less goals than the season before. So what is it about Barry Trotz that makes him you know, such a better coach than the others? Well, I think about it as the first thing is the winning atmosphere. You know, you're bringing a coach that's won. You look back at Doug Waite, Jack Capuano, even Scott Gordon before then. You know, winning wasn't part of the Islanders' way. They were struggling a lot. You look, though, Lula Marilla was the biggest key. Once he came in, you knew he meant business right away from the start. He demanded excellence, you know, old-fashioned type of guy, but he brings in Barry Trotz. And for the first time in a while, the Islander players as well, the fans— could see what winning is like. I mean, he comes in with this resume. You know, we haven't never seen that before. As long as I've been alive, they haven't been that good until now. So Trotz brings that winning in, and that's very easy to buy into that. You look at Doug Waite. The biggest thing for me is Doug Waite played for the Islanders, then became a coach. And obviously, I'm not behind a bench, but it's very hard. You know, you gain the respect as a teammate. That's one thing. You have, you have that bond. But I remember in the last year he coached, he had to bench Jason Tremera, someone he's played with, someone he's been around. And for a coach that's around the same age as that kind of player, to get them to buy in and really treat you as a coach, someone above you, is kind of difficult. But you look at Trotz, Lamarillo, you know, that's the man. You have to follow what he does. And I think the reason we're seeing the defense as tightened as they are is because Trotz demands it and he gets the respect. Not saying Dugway didn't get the respect. Again, he played with them, but it's a different level of respect. When now this is a guy that's come in and has won before, you know, okay, you know what he does works. For the other guys... It was just guess and see what happens. It's what it felt like a lot of times. You know, they were blowing a lot of leads. You see under trots, they don't blow leads at all that often. Yes, we saw in the Capitals game, they blew that in the series, one of those games, and it's happened a couple of times this year, but not to the extent that we saw a couple of years ago. I wanted to kind of ask you about, because, I mean, Barry Trotz is one of my, I think he's one of the best coaches of our generation. Uh, He was one of the guys, I couldn't believe that Washington did not pay him. I think that was a an enormous mistake for that franchise. I think they just got rid of uh, Reardon a couple days ago, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, the coach that you used to have eliminates you in, in how many games? Was it five? It's kind of like, well, we got to get rid of this guy now, you know? Um, I hated it. As a Flyers fan, I absolutely hated that Barry Trotz went to the New York Islanders uh, because you could foresee something like this happening. You know, like the Islanders... They've, they've had like the pieces and I'm thinking of guys like Anders Lee and, uh, Brock Nelson's coming into his own now. Uh, Beauvilliers playing very well. And you look at the decor and, and nobody except, at least for me, nobody really stands out except for Pullock. They have a lot of really good underrated players. 
And it just feels like the perfect team for a guy like Barry Trotz to take over. And I hated it so much because you could see this happening. Uh, I think towards the end of the regular season, they ran into some bad luck with injuries and whatnot. They made a nice trade getting J.G. Joe, And I think the stoppage helped them enormously to kind of regroup, uh, kind of get Peugeot uh, familiar with things in, in New York. And everything's kind of happening perfectly for them. They come in and they steamroll Florida. They steamroll uh, the Capitals, who I think had issues. Uh, I think I saw they haven't given up more than three goals the entire uh, time since plays restarted, until the other night, obviously. Yeah. Uh, that says a lot to how this team is playing, to the coach. He's got them ready to go. I think maybe you knew as an Islander fan, and, and Josh, I think you would agree, one team that we didn't want to play in the playoffs was the Islanders. And, of course, we're matched up in the second round with New York. Yeah, you look at it as, I mean, this team is built for the playoffs because of yep. defense. They say defense wins championship, and that's a cliche as much as you want it to be, but it really is true. I mean, you look at the goaltending last year with Robin Leonard and Thomas Grace. They pick up the Jennings, but you got to give more than credit to the defense because the defense shut down in key moments. They push people to the outside. Those goalies without that defense there are not winning the Jennings Trophy. The same way this year, Varlamov does not have an absolute unreal start to this postseason without the defense. And the biggest key of the defense, like you said, there's no big names and why are they so successful? For me, I personally think it's an ego thing. You know, you have a bunch of guys, a bunch of individuals that, again, they just buy in for themselves. I'm not saying a guy like Ovechkin, you know, when he was coming to the league, he was offense first. His, he did not want to play defense. That wasn't part of his game. And the Capitals would make it to the playoffs because he could carry them during a regular season, but they, they wouldn't win. Why? Well, the key players weren't buying into the system that was in place. Trotz comes in and goes, Ovechkin, if you want to win at this level, you got to learn how to play defense. What does he do? He goes and learns how to play defense, and they win a cup. You look at this Islanders team, Tavares leaves. They are starless. And I think that was the biggest thing because as an Islander fan, Tavares left. You know, that's that's one thing. It sucked, all that kind of stuff. But then you think about it is Tavares leaving gave an opportunity to other guys to step up and show what they could do. A guy like Barzal plays first line minutes, but Ville gets another chance. Brock Nel- Josh Bailey even, who's got 11 points in uh, 11 games this postseason. I mean, this is not a guy that's a point-per-game player by any means, but he's making most of this time. If Tavares was in the player for the Islanders, he's asking for the puck. He's doing these things, and I think him leaving was the best thing for this franchise. Now, you look at the defense. When before you know the 10-game winning streak, 17-game point streak, they were rolling. They weren't allowing goals. They were scoring at a great rate, and that once Pellick uh, went down, everything changed. I don't have the stats off him, but their goals per, per game, uh, goals per game dropped by, I think, over a goal per game, and they were allowing more than a goal per game in his absence. And the biggest thing is everyone's healthy. Boychuk, I mean, he's not playing right now. But after he got hurt in game one against Florida, Green came in and played unreal. I mean, you saw him the other night against the Flyers in game one. This is a 37, 38-year-old who hasn't scored a playoff goal in 10 years. But in the system, <laughs> the way they play, he was he was available to take a shot, takes a shot, they score. And his defense, again, back to the system. He's in the right spot at the right time. They buy in, they give it all they got. But Pella coming back, I mean, this was the make or break. Not even the sense that he is, he is their best defenseman by far. But it's one of those things where he's not a superstar. He's just in the lineup, they click. Everything fits. The pieces around him fit when he's in the lineup. When he's not... They're out of sorts. They had rookie Noah Dobson in there who really struggled. He found himself at the end of the season a little bit. He picked it up, but it was a void that they really couldn't fill. They tried to bring Andy Green over to fill that void. He did his job. I mean, they didn't win, 
the last they lost the last seven games. They picked up a few points since uh, when Andy Green arrived. You know, they were winning more point wise. They were losing more in overtime or shootouts, not in regulation, which is good because they probably wouldn't be in this playoffs if they didn't. But um, you look at it, and yeah, Pelic was the biggest key, and I think for defense with young guys, like you said, Pulak, Pulak is their superstar defenseman, if you want to call him. Pelic is very underrated, but again, he's just one of those players that makes his whole entire defensive group click, and that's the reason we're seeing the Islanders score goals. This was a problem the whole year, scoring goals, and then you bring Pelic back, and you know, Boychuk's not in lineup, but you bring, in, you bring in Pajot, and now everyone's healthy, everyone's playing the roles that they're expected to play. Everyone's clicking. The Islanders are using their defense to create offense, and that's why you're seeing them put up goals. And when they get a lead, I mean, you've seen it. When they get a lead, they just play shutdown defense because they can, and not many teams could do that. Yeah, it's funny you uh, you answered one of my questions in there. I was going to ask. <laughs> no, 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 I, I appreciate it. But uh, does does it matter who's in goal when you're playing defense like that? I mean, obviously, you need a guy who knows the basics and is going to stop basic pucks, but. When you have that defense in front of you, I mean, Thomas Grice has looked like a Vesna goalie, you know, Varlamov, uh, Halak. It doesn't matter who's really behind that defense when you're playing defense like that. And going into your defense, you know, there's not a guy that you look on there and like, you know, you look at the Philadelphia de- defense and you see Ivan Provorov, you know, he's a number one. The Islanders defense is kind of more defense by committee because, uh, you know, if you're looking at a defenseman to watch, you know, we're looking at Pulak for offense. You're looking at Taves for smooth skating. You're looking at Pelic for his defense. We didn't really have a defense to zero in on. And speaking of Andy Green, you said he's 37 because he looks 55. <laughs> not not the, on the ice. With, but the great, just, with the great beard, yeah. Mike, he, he looks like a men's league defenseman. I mean, but he's he's playing so much better than he looks. What's crazy like, is, yeah, continue. No, that was like peak flyers to have Andy Green come on and score that goal, man. <laughs> to not score in 10 years and come in and just friggin' score against well, the, the Flyers. The craziest thing was it was 10 years against, like 10 years ago, we scored against the Flyers and Brian Boucher, who works for NBC, was covering the game. I mean, they're breaking down oh, that yeah. goal during the, I think it was inside the glass or whatever. And he's like, yeah, the defense, <laughs> yeah, you're making all these excuses. It was great to see. It's funny. But like a guy for Green who comes over, I mean, he's 37, I think. He's around, he's old. He's an old guy. And, but he's been playing first line minutes since he broke into the league until now. It's because of the way he plays defense. Not a lot of wear and tear because he's in the right position. He's not sprawling. I mean, we mean, we saw what he did with the skate the other day, and that's probably the most he's had to stretch to block a shot in a long time. But his positioning is key. His awareness is key. He doesn't get hit many times because he's in the right spot. That's why he's been able to play. You know, you see a guy that that old – Johnny Boychuk is a great example. You see him deteriorate over the years because he get, he blocks a lot of shots. He gets hit. You know, he goes in the dirty areas. And he's not playing right now because Green's done so well. But you look at him and – He's like really deteriorated, but Andy Green's been able to play first line minutes his whole entire career. And I, that just shows, you know, his work ethic and his ability because you have to have the talent obviously to do that. But again, the smart play is why he could do that. I'm glad you brought up that leg kick because to the modern ho- to the modern hockey fan who, you know, who's not very plugged into this series, that's just a good play. To the Flyers fan, you know, Travis Konechny has not gotten going in the playoffs with his goal scoring and you let Zero him Zero points, right? Yeah, uh, I think he has zero a, goals. Excuse me. Zero yeah, goals. maybe one or two assists, but a non-factor for the most part. But you know, as an Islander and Flyer fan, you're looking at that play, and you're not letting Travis Konechny get his confidence, and that is so big for the Islanders' defense because you know Konechny's our most explosive scorer, and that's such an underrated play by Green to you know take away a clear goal because you know without his foot there, that's an open net. And that's why I talk about how important this defense is. You look at it; it doesn't matter what if you have Carter Hart in that net, that puck's probably going in regardless. But you have a defense who's in the right spot. He's in the perfect spot to make that play. And yes, he said the first, like when the pass went through, he's like, I can't really let that happen. But 
He figured out what he had to do in the key moment, stuck his leg out. Did he get lucky? Probably, but it's because he was in the right positioning that he got lucky and he helped save a goal. It was just it was just a key play, but that's a you, you expect that from Green every day. You know, people are always they're going after that game. They're like, oh my god, it's defense. It's amazing. It's great. And when I'm looking at it going, no, he's been like that since he became an Islander. He's been like the whole career. But now you're seeing it on the big stage in the playoffs. That's a great play. But he does that all the time, and it just goes under the radar because it's just Andy Green, great defenseman. Yeah, he can stop doing that kind of stuff uh, whenever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe when he's 55. Yeah, so you guys talked, I think you spoke a little bit about the uh, confidence there and, you know, blocking a shot like that and, you know, taking that goal away from TK and maybe the Flyers' lack of confidence. I'm watching the Islanders, and these guys are having fun, man. Like, they know they got it going on, which that kind of stuff scares me a little bit because you know a team's feeling themselves when they're just out enjoying themselves. You know what I mean? There's no pressure on them. They're just... They're having fun. They're playing a game, and and they're winning, and they're having fun doing it. And I know this is the bright side. I look at the Flyers in that first game, and they didn't really look like they were having all that fun. You know, it looked like they were kind of chasing the game a lot of the time. Uh, obviously, the second period was was much better. Uh, the third period just looked like they kind of knew they were cooked in that game, at least to me. Uh, and for the Islanders. They just they knew it was going to come. They it was almost like they expected to win. Uh, game three, I'm sorry, game two. The Flyers needed that start. They needed to get and they needed to score goals early. I think to win that game to kind of regain some of that confidence back. Uh, and, and slowly, I mean, they they gave the game back to the Islanders. The Islanders took it to the Flyers. Um, yeah, just talk about the Islanders' confidence a little bit. I mean, I can't imagine you saw that towards the end of the season. Uh, and just talk about the way that they've come into this, uh, the bubble, and they just are a completely different team. Yeah, you nailed it on the head with having fun. Anthony Bavilia and the Islanders just had a phenomenal playoff run. I mean, this is a guy like a, like a Dubois on the Columbus Blue Jackets, a guy that their team expects to wake up and be that top scorer. And th- so far throughout their shortened careers, it's been you know spurts of greatness, pretty much greatness. And now we're seeing Bavilia do what he could do. But what he does before every game, I don't know if Flyer fans know this because obviously you watch the Islanders and they cover it, is he writes have fun on his stick every single game. And they make shirts about it and so everything. But he said, you know what? I look at this and I remind myself I'm here to have fun. Obviously, I'm here to win. But it's not winning if I'm not having fun doing it. And I think the Islanders came around that. But, yeah, at the end of the season, where is the confidence? It's not there. You lost your last seven. Playoffs were unknown. You didn't, ex- you know, if it wasn't expanded or whatever – there was a chance the Islanders weren't making the playoffs. And for an Islanders franchise that has made the playoffs more recently than not in the past, missing it would be a step back for this organization, especially with a lot of salary cap issues they have to deal with. You know, who's coming back next year? A lot of pressure. But now they get an extended chance to prove something, and they know they're going to be healthy. For the first time in a ton of months, they are healthy and ready to go. And again, it goes from leadership. Anders Lee, I feel like everything that comes out of his mouth is well said, well thought out. It's not just for media attention. He really believes what he says, and they come in. And even the goaltending, Varlamov was consistent the whole year, but he wasn't—he wasn't making those enormous saves that you, you know, a goal in the playoffs has to make. We look at Carter Hart, prime example. Without Carter Hart in the lineup for the Flyers, I don't think they—they—they're not going to be, you know, having a great run like they're doing right now because he has bailed them out over and over again. And we weren't seeing that during the regular season from Islanders goalies. It was they're making the saves they have to make. Grice wasn't making anything in the second half. So kudos to him to come into last game and shut the door because. I mean, when he came in, I was like, oh, boy, 
pack it up. It's over because if he lives in, even if he lets in one goal, this game is over. They're not coming back. That's how and, I was thinking too. I was praying for that one more goal. <laughs> that was the backbreaker, and I'm like, shit, they can't get you know, the fourth. Grice was Grice wasn't even tested. I was just gonna second. say that again. Back to the defense. The Islanders knew Grice had struggled, and you know, with the goalie, I mean. I think most back to like you think about a few years ago when Cam Tyler came up with the Rangers and Lundqvist got hurt. He couldn't play in the playoffs or in the run, excuse me, to the playoffs. And the Rangers just were amazing. Cam Tyler posted stellar stats. But the reason being is you have a goalie in there that you the defense doesn't have as much confidence in, which means you play more lockdown defense when that I'm a goalie as well. So I, I sort of see it from a different point of view than a lot of people. But we look at it is why is Lundqvist getting scored on so much this year and last year? You know, his stats decrease. It's because his team still has faith in him to make those incredible saves. So they're not playing as tight defense. They're playing more run and gun. That way they can play offensive and score more goals. Then you look at a guy that Talbot comes in. It's like, okay, we don't have the same faith we have in a Lundqvist guy. we got to tighten up. The same thing we saw the other day. Falamov's been great the whole series. The team gained confidence. What happened? They had, he had a shutout streak. He passed all time now, 137 minutes, I believe. They loosened up. They loosened up a defense. How many odd man rushes did the Flyers get last game? They capitalized on, I think, Two of them, the one-on-one with um, uh, Katuria against uh, Letty where he bodies him and scores. I mean, that's not an odd man rush, but they just loosened up so many odd man rushes against. And then Grice comes in and it's, we got to shut the door. we got to play tighter. And they did that. It woke up. Barry Trotz said after the game that he made the move not because Varlamov was struggling. Yes, he probably wants two of those back. And, you know, that's up for debate with the Hayes, the first one, the absolute snipe. But he said he had to, he made that move to wake everybody up and it did. It woke everybody up. They came back and they tied. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for you guys, the flyers come away. Cause that would have just been a mess for Lane Vigneault if they lo- lose that game. But again, it comes down to when is it time to have fun? They, they strolled their way to this series, but as they went on, they knew the teams were going to get better. This flyer team's not a joke and they caught themselves maybe having too much fun and all that stuff. And I think that when they realized Grice came in, you know, you saw the celebrations when they tied it up. I mean, they're ecstatic. I mean, they're not crying, but, you know, Pajot scoring that goal was huge. He's, he looks like he was a man on a mission and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's all in fun and all to have fun. We, you know, it's, again, it's a sport. But when you're back against the wall, it's time to, you know, get the smiles off your face. Focus. That was the biggest thing is they didn't have – they were playing lights out hockey and winning. And that's, you know, it's easy for you to – for a player to go – we're, we're probably just going to win again. Like, let's have fun with it. And I'm obviously we're not in their heads. I'm not, I mean, I can't speak for them, but when you're down and you're trailing three, nothing now it's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know what? We, we had our fun now. Now it's time to really, really show them what we got. And they did that. And then, you know, you could have fun after the game's over, but I think maybe they got a little carried away with the fact that they've had so much success in the playoffs. And again, they've earned it. It's not like they, you know, the Capitals didn't play great, but they had to fight for every victory they got. It wasn't a walk in the park. They capitalized when they had to, and you saw them again. Like I said, they just weren't as tight as a group defensively. They got away from their game a little bit. But when they get back on their game, you saw it was impossible to score on them. Yep. And it's a fluke goal at the end, too. I mean, I mean, it, first off, uh, was it, it was Couturier <laughs> in front, right, who missed yeah, that wide open net? So yeah, I yes. saw that, and I'm like, uh, the whole entire play, the icing, the bad icing, the face-off loss by Barzal. And I was like, all right, well, you just got to get the puck back. And when that happened, and Couturier had a wide open shot, I'm like, this play, this play is not gonna end well. You knew when they were cycling, you know something's gonna happen. Take the shot, it goes off Anders Lee's stick. Rice has no chance. I mean that's bad luck and just bad. That's one bad play at the end. You know they had all the momentum. They had a power play going uh, before overtime. They should. I mean we could talk about that because that was a crazy challenge. I think for me, I think that was a very bonehead play that could have cost Av his job. 
quite frankly, I think it could have after the series if it was to go south for the Flyers. But they had all the momentum, and it was what, so quick to just lose that. What did you think about that call, Josh? I was kind of ticky-tacky because I, I hate the whole offside thing. Like, um, I agree. If it's that close, you're taking away a great hockey play just for an inch of the blade. I, I've seen some angles of it. Personally, I think it's onside. I had a lot of people in my mentions when I said it was onside saying, that uh you know Barzell or not sorry Bailey didn't have possession of the puck or he did have possession as he was crossing the line and as Brock Nelson was trying to touch up personally you know from a bias standpoint I think it's onside because I don't want them taken away from the sport of hockey for just an inch but I just think it was onside for a regular play I think Bailey was very intelligent and waiting for him to to completely line before he touched the puck I think like you said I'm not a fan of it being that close you're taking away from hockey that's not what replay was intended for but then you look at it as if it really is that close, you challenging that and it goes south. You're giving the Islanders a power play. This is a power play that's been terrible. But coming, thinking that they've come back already from down three goals, you're telling me that they, you're, you're going to give it a power play to a team that has all the momentum. And then you look at AV, and I think it was James Van Riemsdyk. They showed it on the camera going, did you look at the right play? All that stuff. But again, that situation with the new rule, you can't challenge that. On the off chance, you're wrong. And the Islanders find the first to- thing I thought of, man. I'm like, AV, like... I know you want to challenge the goal, but you know there's two minutes left and you get a penalty if you're wrong. Like that's I don't know if that's a chance I want to take there. So like if you're gonna challenge that, you you better know. You and know what, what he, I mean? What he could have done is really thought about how bad the Islanders were on the power play. And yeah. that probably was a consideration for why he did that. I, I mean, if it's a team like the Lightning that did that, you're not challenging that. No way. You're giving them a power play with two minutes left. You're out of your mind. I think uh, maybe that's what he thought, but it Looking I at think it, the Islanders are better five on five than they are. Oh, so I, I wonder if, to your yeah. point, I wonder if he knew that, you know? Maybe uh, he thought know. we could kill it off and get the momentum. And they did that, but I mean, they didn't. I don't know if they grabbed momentum. It was more they canceled out the Islanders' momentum because at that point, losing that power, uh, going that power play opportunity by the boards was a momentum killer. It didn't destroy the game. I'm not going to blame the Islanders for losing because they didn't score that goal because I didn't expect them to score in the power play. It was right. wishful thinking, but this is a power play that. Especially in a tight situation in that game, they're all jittery. It, didn't, it wasn't a good power play by any means. And you're, again, you're going against one of, I think, one of the better goalies in the league in Carter Hart when it comes to coming up with that big time save. Not not saying he's the best goalie in the league. Obviously, there's other guys up for that. But I think, especially this playoffs, if I could have a goalie in net that could bail a team out, I mean, how can you not go with Carter Hart? And I think the Islanders, you know, they scored three goals in that game and you had to make, you had to beat Carter Hart. It wasn't going to be a, a fluke goal, a bounce, you know, because every, I feel like every play the Islanders did where there was an in tight shot, really close. Besides the goals they scored, Carter Hart anticipated it, cut the angle off, controlled his rebound. I mean, he was brilliant. That's why I keep saying he, he is the biggest part of this Flyers team making it. Because people were talking about this Elliott start the next game. I, I think hell no. Well, the thing for me is Elliott's been good, but you, they don't. I, I guess uh, fans in general don't understand. First off, when you have a goal like Carter Hart in net, the stats go out the window. It's all about what he does, the extra stuff he does. I mean, we can look at goal save above average. I don't have the stat in my head, but I guarantee his it's definitely above a one or two uh, point, whatever, because, you know, he's making saves that most goalies aren't making. You look at the Brock Nelson save, and I mean, that's a huge save. Was it easier than it looked as a goalie? Yes, because he put his glove up, and there was really only one place he could make that save. And Nelson shot it, but the anticipation. The anticipation threw Nelson off. Nelson thought he was going to have an easy, you know, if Nelson holds on to that for an extra one second and then chips it, probably a goal because Carter Hart's already on his stomach. That's like the biggest thing for a goalie. You wait him out. 
But Brock Nelson, I know, did not think in his head that he's going over to make that save, and that's all anticipation and reflexes. And Elliott's not going to bring that. Elliott, Elliott's an older goalie. He's not as flexible. And I think Carter Hart just finds a way to make that extra save that could make or break a series. And I think putting Elliott in would just be a brutal mistake because the Islanders are going to exploit that. That's automatically a weakness. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you said that because uh, game one and game two were uh, very different games. I think game one, the Flyers played a lot better of a game. You know, game two, we got out to a hot start. But uh, I don't think there was back-to-back shifts where we really controlled possession. I think, you know, one of our lines would come out and do well, and next we get hemmed in their own zone. And I think, personally, I, I liked our, our uh, game better in game one, especially in the second and third periods, not that first period, of course. But I think the, uh, the challenge by AV was, was, I hate to question the guy, but really dumb. But in a way, like, the Islanders five on five were shredding us that game. I think that was a good opportunity for AV, you know, to try and maybe switch something up. He, he trusts our PK a little bit and, you know, all in all it worked out, but again, it's a fluky shot. But uh, one thing I really wanted to ask you about with the Islanders team is, you know, the narrative for so long with that team was, you know, they didn't have a scoring winger to put next to John Tavares. And now, I mean, you got Bavillier, you have Bailey, you have Lee, there are so many players that have turned into offensive threats. So, like, what have you? What is it about the that that offense that just woke up when Tavares left? I think it was opportunity. I think you're seeing guys get a bigger role than they have. Guys who are playing second line minutes that realize, okay, you know what? Because the whole thing was get Tavares the puck, let him do his thing. And when Tavares failed, the team failed. When Tavares was hot, the team was winning. But when he fails. The whole team, it's like a domino effect. If he's not having a good game, the Islanders are not winning. No one else is stepping up. And I think now you're seeing a whole new identity. The identity with the Islanders with Tavares was it's Tavares' team. That's pretty much what it was. It's Tavares' team, you ride or die. Look at this team, again, under a new coach, general manager. It's you all are worth it. Like you all are going to help us win or you're all going to help us lose. It's a team effort. That's what I'm trying to prove with this. Again, you look at Tavares and he goes to the Maple Leafs. They don't win. It didn't. He's not a make or break for that team, though. They have a lot of other guys, Matthews, Marner. I mean, Frederick Anderson and Nett. You know, they have pieces there to win. But you look, and Tavares comes there, and he, he doesn't make that big of a difference. But he leaves the Islanders, and now you have a guy, Barzalis, playing first-line minutes. And while it may have been a little rough start to that because, you know, he plays with the puck a little too much or he gives the puck up. But, I mean, a guy like Josh Bailey, who he was – he was ridiculed by fans since he came up, and that was because the Islanders didn't really handle him correctly. He was up and down from the minors. They brought him up too soon. But he's finding his own because, you know, he's playing with teammates and all that stuff, but he's having the ability to play with the puck and do what he has to do. And I think with Tavares on the team, you know, guys like that didn't get the opportunity. You're, look at this team up and down. It reminds me of a Ve- the Vegas Golden Knights team when they first came into existence. There was no star in that team. It was second and third line players or fourth line players buying into a system, and getting a job done. There's some guys on this team that are playing. Ross Johnston on any other team probably doesn't ever see the light of day. Derek Broussard was scratched, but he might not get the opportunity. You look at guys like on the back end, a Scott Mayfield, even a Pellick on another team, he might not have the the skills that we see now with this Islander team. You have guys, Josh Bailey could be a third line or a fourth line play on another team, but in the Islander system, it works out. So I think with the goal scoring, it's just the experience, the system that they're in, especially with this, the attention to defense, the defense creates offense. When they stop odd man rushes or they pin, um, they get out of their own zone and they break out quickly. I mean, they have speed and skill, but Villiers, he is fast. But something about Bavillier that we didn't even see when, you know, back when Tavares on the team, when he wasn't getting as many minutes is he can create. I mean, we saw this season in, early, in the playoffs too against the Capitals, the 
trying to think of what goal it was or what play. Maybe it was against Florida, but he had a chance to dump the puck in while his team was changing. And instead of going for a change or just, you know, waiting for the Florida or whoever it was to pick up the puck, he went and got that puck. He didn't get, he got that puck, won it, sent it to the front and they score a goal. I mean, that's not, you're not seeing that two or three years ago. And that's all because of confidence because Trotz believes in him to put him out there in big moments. The second line for the Islanders team, since Trotz has been there, the fourth line has started every game. After the Islanders would give up a goal, fourth line was out there. If they scored a goal, the fourth line was your identity line. But you see the Islanders this in the playoffs. The second line has been unstoppable. You have Bavilli on the left, centered by Brock Nelson, then right, Josh Bailey. And they have been great. And, you know, look at the Islanders, and it's everyone's contributing. The secondary scoring is something we didn't see during the regular season at all or in years past. You're not relying on Lee, Barzell, and Ebley. It takes a lot of pressure off them. And they weren't really awake when the playoffs began. It was this second line really coming to life. The third line, Matt Martin was scoring big goals. I mean, you're you're seeing scoring from so many other people that you didn't really expect. And I think that just shows how strong this team can be. Again, like I said, a Josh Bailey, 11 points in 11 games. That's not anything you would ever imagine happening on a team with Tavares or even in general. And I think that just shows speaks volumes to buying into a system and it, watching it work. Let me ask you a little bit here. Yeah. So uh, I put out an article for hwhockey.net before the series, and I wanted to pick out three guys to watch for the Flyers. and or Three guys, if the Flyers were going to advance, these three guys were going to have to play well. If uh, And also hold down these three players from the Islanders. Now, the three players that I named uh, were Barzell, Josh Bailey, since he's been playing very well, and they were going to have to figure out a way to beat Varlamov consistently. Who are three players in your mind that the Flyers would have to shut down in order to win this series? Yeah, so definitely Barzell. He started to heat up as the playoffs gone on, and I think with Barzell, especially going against a Flyers team whose their defense wasn't that far off from the Islanders. They played. They just, I guess, for the Islanders, it was more of holy crap. Now we could see because again, the Islanders don't get a lot of media coverage especially nationally. Usually when they talk about the Islanders, it's you talk about the other team and what the other team did wrong rather than what the Islanders did right. We saw that we saw that in the games against the Flyers during the intermission. What do the Flyers have to do? What do the Flyers, all that stuff, not what did the Islanders do right? I think that plays into their system perfectly because they are the underdog team. They've always been a team that's looked down upon. I remember for the longest time, backups. The team would always start their backup against the Islanders. Mm. I think it was because they didn't want to see their starters get embarrassed in case they didn't win the game. But no, but I, they really didn't give the Islanders a chance. And I think for the Flyers, the Barzal was a big key, shutting down Mavili, but also it was not getting intimidated by the fourth line. I think the fourth line as a unit, when you talk about them, it's it's shutting down the fourth line's forecheck. I mean, we saw it at times throughout the playoffs where the Islanders are able to, late in games, their fourth line comes out and pins uh, the opposition in their defensive zone. But if you had to pick one other player, yeah, you say Barzal, you say... Bavillian. I, I wouldn't say Bailey just for the fact that if you could shut down Barzell or, or you shut down Bavillier, then Bailey's not going to play the level he plays at. Because again, he's he's getting these points because his teammates are scoring. So if you shut down a guy like Bavillier, Bailey's not picking up that assist. It's not happening. But I guess the, the third guy I would say would be would be Pajot because he had a lot to prove coming into this playoffs. They were 0-3 and 4 with him in the lineup. His first game he plays against the Rangers, scores a fluke goal, bounce off the boards, and then he fights um, Jacob Truba after he destroys uh, Michael Dalcole on a, a, it wasn't a dirty hit legally in the rule book, but I mean, it was a questionable hit. And then we just saw nothing and it was okay. We gave up three draft picks additional, <laughs> but we gave up, we gave up a lot for a guy that Hasn't seven games, 
so much, but the team didn't really play well regardless. But Peugeot was brought in to score goals because he was their lead. When he came to the Islanders, I think he had 24, 25 goals, and he was their leading scorer right off the bat. That was and a hell of a come- shot to tie that game last night that, or the other and, night. Yeah, and I, I would even say that shot, again, as a goalie, you look at Kevin Hayes' shot, and I, we talked about this on our radio show, which that was a perfect shot, but that's a shot that Varlamov definitely could stop. And Varlamov had a problem reading reading the Flyers in that game, specifically Kevin Hayes, because the two goals Kevin Hayes scored, obviously the first one, he's cheating slightly, but you could see his angle was a little off. And when the shot comes, you could see his eyes. He, he wasn't focused on the shot. He really thought the pass was coming the whole way. And if he's looking at the shot, that's a blocker. It's probably going off the end of the stick. That's a save, though. The second goal, he completely read the pass, and he read it wrong. And as a goalie, you know, you're always taught, play the shot. That's on an odd man rush, you play a shot. We saw in the series against Washington when the Capitals, the one game the Capitals won, Ovechkin's getting on, as on a two-on-one. And again, as a goalie, you're taught, read the shot, defensemen's break up the pass. In that situation, the defenseman's got to stop the shot because Ovechkin's not passing that. But a situation like this where Kevin Hayes is coming down short side, you got to be ready for that shot. You already saw earlier in the game that he was going to go, he went short side and had success. He was going to try it again. So that's a bad goal. But it just goes to show Pajot's shot. I mean, as a goalie, when you go down, getting your glove to go across this way is very hard as quick as that shot was. Yes, you could talk about goalies in general go down way too much. It's a problem. If they stay up, they're making yeah. a lot more saves than going down. But it's just they're trained. Go down because they're that big. I, me, I'm 5'9", we'll round up maybe, but I'm probably five eight and a half. But anyway, when I go down <laughs> – no, but I mean when I go down, I can't. I got to yeah. be a stand-up type of goalie because when I go down, I give up way too much, and that's why I rely on reflexes, all that kind of stuff. But you look at the Pajot shot – First off, wide open in the slot. Yep. I mean, that can't happen. The Flyers have the Flyers tried to clear the zone and they couldn't. That was the biggest problem. And they could could have gone boards and out, but they tried to go up the middle. I'm pretty sure that's what happened on that play. But Peugeot gets the puck. And Carter Hart's reflexes, again, are incredible. And he shoots it though right by the by his eyes, right above the shoulder. And that's such a hard play for Gouli to get a glove on that. If he shoots it to the left, or to, excuse me, to to Hart's left, that's probably a save, or even to Hart's right, because he has the reflexes, but you shoot it right by the eyes, and that gives Hart zero chance to make that save and I mean again an impressive shot but we've seen him do it this whole entire playoffs he's come up with those big goals and that's why he was brought in that's why they gave up so many picks and that's why he got signed to a long extension I'm pretty sure it was six years so for a guy like Pajot and again he's playing it's not like he's playing first line minutes like he was with Ottawa where the top defensive pairing is against him this Island team has weapons all over where the Flyers can't send out Provorov against Pajot because Provorov's got to go out against the Brock Nelson line or he's got to go against Barzal's line the two stronger quote-unquote lines a guy like Pajot, you got you have probably your second or third D pair against him, and he's a guy that's shown that he could beat first line defense. He showed it on Ottawa. The way he had an amazing career career best season and what he's done in the playoffs over his career has been phenomenal. So I think have again this Islanders team is deeper than people think, and for a guy like Pajot, would be the one you have to watch the most because again he's a third line player playing third line minutes, but like on his face face up percentage has been pretty sure he's second in the Islanders behind Brock Nelson. I would say Pajot is the guy you got to watch the most because you expect to see what Barzal and Lum do. You expect Brock Nelson. Those are two. You got to cue in on those lines. Those lines are going to get the most minutes. Pajot, that line just sneaks up on you, and it's really hard for a team where defense is. I mean, playing defense against Islanders is hard enough. So I think it's very difficult to guard a guy like Pajot, especially as the game goes on. I mean, that's a that was a tight game. You know, it's tiring. You're tiring. The Islanders were pressing hard and all that stuff. And then you've got like Pajot comes on, and it's. Uh, how do we? How do we even stop this team? Pajot's wide open. They make the plays, and it's again. I think Pajot is showing why he deserved the long-term deal and why they traded for him. For sure. So I mentioned 
couple guys, the Flyers, I think, needed to step up. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your perception of some of these players. So, obviously, uh, so for me, I, I, I picked guys like Coots, TK, and Claude Giroux. They all need to have a uh, big series in order for the Flyers to go through into the third round here. Um, the guy I want to ask you about is Sean yeah. Couturier. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of been my thing lately. I'm, I'm trying to see, you know, what different people think about the guy. Uh, obviously, we love him here. Selkie Trophy candidate. We're hoping he finally wins one this year. Um, there's been people out there saying he's a very, very good player. Uh, other people want to try to call him a star. Uh, how do you guys kind of perceive him up in, uh, in Long Island? Yeah, so... Obviously, when you think of the Flyers, you think of Claude Giroux. That's the first person you think of, and he's been non-existent. I don't think he has a goal. No. If I'm if I'm correct, he has, and that's that's not that's not okay. Obviously, because he's on your top line. He's he's got he's got to score a goal, and for him not to do that just goes to show either he's not mentally in there. I mean, you look at Konechny, and Konechny's another guy that stands out. A young guy, he's scoring. You know, he scores and uh, excuse me, he scores a lot, and that's a goal scorer for this team. And you saw him just every time he missed the net. He's looking up or he's looking at the sky. You saw, like what you said, those, those big stops are connecting or stopping him, making him shoot wide. Confidence has been shattered. Until he fi- Once he scores one goal, they're going to come. Yep. I mean, we saw that against Varlamov. He, his confidence was sky high. You knew once he lost that shutout streak, he had a feeling that not the floodgates were open, but he wasn't going to be as hard to score on. And we, we saw that. He gave up a few weak goals because he was just so dominant. And then when you lose that, it's like you're a little lost for a little bit. But, I mean, with Sean Gaturier – I mean, you look at it, he's, after the 2017-2018 season, he hasn't put up, um, excuse me, sorry, 2018-2019, 33 goals. He drops down to 22 this year. Uh, a shortened season, it's been a, it's been a weird year, but you know he's a goal scorer. And as an, from an Islander's perspective, he's a goal scorer, and that's someone that you have to pay attention to regardless of struggles. Again, a guy like Giroux, a guy like Konechny, a guy like Couturier, these are goal scorers at the NHL level. I'm not going to say Couturier is a superstar. The same I wouldn't say a Matthew Barzal is not a superstar. Yet. I mean, Couturier is yes. what, 27? I think Couturier is 27. Um, doesn't mean he can't be a superstar next. I mean, it's going to take a while, but when you have a guy like uh, Giroud on the team and you have other guys connecting, you have pieces around Kevin Hayes, you don't have to be a superstar to have success. We're seeing it. He's not a superstar, and the Flyers are – have done amazing this season. They finish, you know, fourth in the Metro before they go into the playoffs, and then they're, they're the first seed. I mean – I'm not going to say I told you so, but on my other show, I said when they were going to say, I have a funny feeling the Flyers are going to come out of this round robin on top. I, I don't know why I hate them. I just have a feeling like teams aren't going to take them seriously, and they're a lot better than people think. And I, I mean, as a goalie, again, Carter Hart, unreal to watch. But for Couturier, again, I think it's just just bad luck right now. He's not going to the, he's not getting to the dirty airs as much as you want to see. He's not. He's a big boy, too. I mean, you see him have success behind the net and in tight, all that kind of stuff, because he has a wicked shot, strong on his stick. I mean, you saw it late in that game where he has the puck behind the Islanders' net, and he's protecting it. I mean, I think he he's dominant when he does the small things that leads to goals. But I wouldn't say the superstar. I just think he is a strong offensive player that when he when he's on, he's on. And I think we see a lot with a lot of Islanders too is what they're not that he's streaky, but there's times when it's like, all right, where where is he? Or, I mean, you saw with Anthony Bavillier during the year, and uh, even Barzal, it's like they go like 15, 16 games. Brock Nelson, too, of just nothing. And in the playoffs, 15, 16 games, that's a playoff run, potentially could end. So I think for Couturier, he's got to relax and focus. Maybe he's too hard on his stick. I mean, that's what I think about connecting a little bit is too excited or too hard on his stick, putting too much pressure on his head and just worrying about 
hey, you're look at your stats. You're a good player. Your teammates love you. You want to score. But for Gaturia, I mean, 22 goals, 37 assists, 59 points. That's a low over the last three years. But again, it's a shortened season. There's a lot of variables going into it. And I think it's not about your stats during a regular season at all. I mean, it's about what you do now. Matt Martin didn't go into the playoffs going, well, I'm not a goal scorer. I had, what, maybe six or seven goals on the year. First game, he scores against Florida. I mean, he scored in the Capitals series. It's not, I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what you did. That's why with the Bruins, looking at what they had an incredible season, they went winless, right, in the round robin. I think they didn't win a game or they went one and three, whatever it was. And um, you're looking at it, it's not, what, it's not what you did to get here. That doesn't matter anymore. You're here now. So for Katuri, it doesn't matter if Katuri scored 22 goals or 40. It matters, all right, how are you going to help your team tonight, today? So right. it doesn't matter that he's not doing anything now. Same thing with Giroux. Stop sulking on the fact that you haven't done anything, which I'm obviously I'm, I'm assuming they're not doing. It's it's all right. How in the next 60 minutes can you come up for your team? And I think that's what defines a star. I mean, you yeah, look at I agree. Guy, you look at a guy like Ovechkin, and it doesn't matter if he's slumping going into a, I mean, he did nothing in the round robin. Nothing. I don't think he had a goal. And he goes against the Islanders. And it's not, it's no, I mean, he was a point per game player against the Islanders over his career before that series. And he comes to the game and it's like, okay, I'm the leader of this team. What can I do right now? He has two goals in, I'm pretty sure in their win. He scores two goals and he scores another two or the, uh, a few games later and I all that kind of stuff. Capitals only had three guys score goals in your series, That's it, correct? that's it. It was Ovechkin, Oshi. It was Ovechkin, Oshi, and Kuznetsov, Kuznetsov, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That is it. You see why they lost the series. The Islanders had an abundance of guys putting up points. The Capitals just had players and it's mostly on the power play the islanders didn't the islanders are the best team in hockey when they play five and five i don't know the stats in front of me i mean i know nhl network broke it down and they were first or second all the five on five categories and it's like that's how good this team is the problem was they were taking penalties we take penalties against the capitals team when you have a guy like ovechkin you're shooting yourself in the foot fortunately they were able to not take as many penalties when it mattered but you you look at you know like i'm trying to think of other players in the league that you know don't don't have success during the regular season doesn't mean you can't have success in the playoffs. Look at a Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. They've struggled to do stuff in the regular season over the years where it really mattered. And in the playoffs, they haven't really done much either. But their team's winning, and that speaks volumes to who's around them and all that kind of stuff. So I think, though, for a guy like Giroux, and it's Katuri, is not even a goal. Make a big hit. You know, Giroux is a great scorer, but he's also got a physical presence to himself. Same way Katuri has. It's the Flyers team. I mean, this is the gritty Flyers. The bad boys, you know, all these, you know, what they say about the Flyers, these are, a t- this is a tough group. So I think if they lay one big hitch, do something to bring momentum because right now they're not doing much. And I think, again, for a guy like Couturier, make one little play, make two little plays, you know, show your you team that you're going to contribute. You know what I loved? And, and Josh, maybe you can comment uh, comment on this as well. So what what's today? Thursday. So they, the game one was Monday night. Yeah. I think I was on HW Tuesday night and was talking about Sean Couture I think he had played what his worst game in uh in a long time anyway like Coots usually doesn't play that badly and I wanted to see something from him I wanted to see some kind of alpha male presence from Coots I wanted to see him uh like have a signature shift like like I'm thinking of a Claude Giroux shift against Pitt eight years ago or a Mike <laughs> Richards shift against uh, the Habs 10 years ago and I'm not going to say he dominated a shift but the goal he scored uh the other night was Perfect I think a example. signature goal, yeah. And uh, Josh, and I want to kind of hear your perspective there. Um, I mean, yeah, Coots is my favorite flyer and has been for a while. And I'll say I've been watching him a long time in his third third line role and his fourth line role and his first line role. Game, 
was the worst I've ever seen Sean Couture in a Flyers jersey. And you know, if he's not bringing it offensively, he's bringing something to the table. And he brought, I'd say, nothing to the table game one. But game two, his goal was the signature play that like this team really needed. Mm-hmm. The top guys needed it. You know, Giroux made a great play to make it happen. So it's good to see the top guys get on the board. But again, on that Pat Joe goal, Couturier was up a little too high. And that's not something you see from a Selkie winner. And yeah, I think he's a star. I do think he's a Selkie winner. But I don't think he's really played his game in these playoffs, nor do I think Giroux and Konechny has. And it's really important what's that, what he just said about, you know, Bavillier having fun. These players, I think the Flyers are playing really tight. And I, I'm sure that has a little bit to do with the pressure of being the one seed, even though they're just the fourth seed in the East. But, uh, you know, they're playing like they're trying not to choke. And mm. that's a huge issue for a team like the Flyers, who they're not the first they're not the first seed in the East, really. No. So, you know, they got to play a little bit more loose. They got to play a little bit more like we belong here, but we're going to have fun while we're here. And it's good to see Katoria get going, but you need more from them when you have Giroux, Voracek, and Kutz all on the first line. I mean, you look at that goal, and he dummies Nick Letty. I mean, Nick Letty's had problems this year playing defense, and just everything about Nick Letty's game has been a red light, as in, oh boy, like this is not good. I mean, he gets demoted to third line D pairing. Not, be, I mean, this Islanders team it doesn't matter who's on the first, second, or third line D. They all play. They all have the, the trust and trust. Same way with the offense. You can put any line up against any line. That's why they're so dominant. But that's a goal that Couturier, that, that's a vintage Couturier goal, using his body to get to the inside, and then he waits out the goalie. I mean, he has filthy hands. Like, this is not a guy that's, he's not a fourth line. I mean, he was a fourth line player, like you said, when he first started, he worked his way up. But he brings that fourth line grit to a first line role. And that's huge for a team like the Flyers, who's, you know, they do have speed, but they're mostly, you know, big hits, big plays like that. And a physical guy like that, he used his body. He used uh, an, he had an advantage over Nick Letty there, and he exploited the advantage. Uh, he exploited Nick Letty's size, bodied him to get to the puck, and scored. And that's that's just the will to do that. It's not even the skill that he has. It's the will to go and try to make a play like that. And in a game like that, where you know you're putting you're trying to you're trying to bury the Islanders there. That's a huge goal. And for most teams, that's probably game over right there. That probably seals the deal. That was the third goal, right? Correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was the third goal. I mean. I didn't. I, I didn't think the Islanders were going to come back. They looked. The Islanders looked lost defensively. The offense was there. They were generating, but Hart was too good. But I thought the the defense. They they're getting exploited left and right with these odd man rushes and the careless plays. That you know, I know Andy Green's had a great series, but I early on in that game, he missed a wide open pass to get the puck in the offensive zone. Ices the puck, and those the little things you were seeing from the Islanders, they were off. Something about it wasn't off. And credit the Flyers because came out on a mission and they get up the three goal lead. But looking back, I mean, without that goal. Two goal lead. That's that's not. I mean, that's not out of the books for teams to come back and score. Two goal leads. I mean, it's always debatable which leads the worst lead in hockey. Two or three. I mean, mm-hmm. any lead in hockey is not safe. When you have, we've seen in the playoffs. So many teams come back with like two or three minutes left and force overtime and buzzer beater goals or things that close. How fun is that Colorado Dallas series while we're that, talking about crazy buzzer beaters? Unreal. Beat. Holy fuck, that's unreal. Awesome. Well, this Dallas team has surprised me because again, their offense was. No offense really at all when it mattered. Their big players weren't stepping up. Ben Bishop wasn't around. You're relying on Kudobin, a career backup, who's played well. I think he led the NHL in the regular season with a 930 save. Obviously, he's not playing as many minutes as some of those starters are, but he did lead the league in that, and he's a trustworthy guy that many people don't even think about when they think of oh, who's a good good backup in this league. You don't give Kudobin a lot of credit, but I mean they've locked up defensively. They're scoring a ton of goals, and yes, the Avalanche lost their starting net and Grubauer, and I never pronounce his name. I, I'm pretty sure it's French shows, but French shows, whatever. <laughs> He's so tried hard. three different ways to say it. I'm just going to call him Fran to save myself. But 
I mean, you just seen this Dallas team come alive, and I think it's because they're going against an Avalanche team where it's like, you know, the Avalanche are going to score. That's yeah. that's how they win. They score a ton of goals. So the only way to counteract that is score. I mean, your defense can do all they can. Nathan McKinnon is. If you're probably starting an NHL franchise today, or you're picking one guy to bring, I tweeted probably the same McKinnon thing and got absolutely yeah. crucified for it. Crucified me for it. I you look <laughs> at it and it's like, all right, uh, McDavid's one guy. He's maybe you want to start with him, but you look at just McDavid. The thing that separates him from everybody else, maybe he's close to McDavid, but McKinnon, it's the speed that he has with the puck. It's not just his raw speed. You look at a guy like even Barzal is a lower level than McKinnon, but there's fast guys. Chris Kreider is really really fast, and but. With the, I mean, McKinnon, the thing with McKinnon separates him from a guy like Barzal, right? I think we were talking about this earlier, is the fact that you don't know when McKinnon's going to shoot it or pass it or what he's going to do. You can't anticipate. For Barzal, the thing that separates Barzal, Barzal from being superstar like McKinnon is you know he's going to deke around and do all those fun things with the skates, the way he cuts, but you know he's going to dish it off. With McKinnon, he's going to break through the zone, deke around. You don't know if he's going to quickly pass it. His shot is so quick that goalies, they have no chance. So if a, to play defense against him is literally impossible. And you see Dallas, and they're like, all right, well, if we're going to beat them, we just got to score. And, they, you know, they have Eric Johnson's hurt. That's a huge loss for Colorado. This is a guy that's been a veteran leader on the back, but not really produced since he's, you know, he was he came up a really young, uh, young guy, very good. But he didn't play ever to that level of expectation, I think, when he was drafted and, and you know, came up with them. So I think that Dallas is really exploding, but it's been a hell of a series back and forth. I mean, that's what you want to play off hockey. That's why hockey is the greatest sport because any team can beat any team on any given night. Yep. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because my last question I had for you was uh, I watched Matthew Barzell and I saw so much Nathan McKinnon. Jim and I were talking about it before the show. Uh, if he were, if he were, you know, playing for a coach that doesn't have such a tight system and mm-hmm. no, no diss at Barry Trotz because he's amazing. Yes. But if, if he were given the reins like John Tavares was and, you know, go play your game, we'll build around you, go score. Where does he rank in the top 10? Because I'd say he's a top five player if given the free reigns. I'll tell you, I agree with you. He's probably a top five player, but the Islanders aren't winning a thing. Fair enough. I think, I think that, you know, he's not a superstar yet. And I think that all, I would love to see Barzal become an elite top five guy in this league. That'd be incredible. But to do that, I think they would have to sacrifice too much of the team success. I mean, look at Tavares. He was great. He was brilliant with the Islanders. He scored goals. He racked up points. I think he almost... Is it Ovechkin? I think Ovechkin beat him out for um, the most goals. Or no, excuse me, it was Jamie Ben. Like later down a couple of years ago, Jamie Ben had the most goals in the league or uh, whatever the it was. Season was it when he won I'm the sure. Art Ross? Yes, when he yeah when he, yeah there was the, but it came like a game right there and it's great and all but you know the Islanders they don't have success when their top player was producing it didn't matter they weren't they weren't a top team in the league. You look at a guy like McKinnon. This is a Stanley Cup bound team and he's doing what he's doing now. McDavid, I mean, they're not, they're not that, they're, the Oilers aren't that good defensively, and that's really what cost them with defense and the goaltending. So it doesn't matter how good McDavid is, the team doesn't win. You look at Barzal, and he's really cleaned up his game. One stat I was looking at was his turnovers. That was the biggest thing. It was he plays with the puck a lot, and sometimes he's too careless. This year during the regular season, he was um, turning the puck over 1.5 times per game. Look in the playoffs, he's only turning over 0.727. So I'm not a mathematician, but we'll say that's half. We'll say he's turning over half the time, but that's. That half that that's a huge difference to his game. He's more responsible. He has taken his fair share of dumb penalties. He sometimes tends to do that. He gets pissed off, takes offensive zone penalties. But you're already seeing a growth from the regular season to the playoffs when it matters. You look at a guy like Tavares. You think he cared that he was giving the puck over? He gave the puck over all the time. He cared. I don't. I'm not going to say he was an individuality because again, I don't know him. It just that's what it seemed like was my success comes over the team success. I mean, you look at when he got. Uh, 
when the Islanders were like, okay, you want to stay or should we trade with the deadline? He's like, no, I want to stay here and be on this team. But you look at it and it's like, well, why didn't they? I mean, they really thought he could bring him back. He's a, a top player in the league. But you look at it and it's just, you know, watching his game, it was, it was, he either scores a goal and the Islanders win or find a way to win, or he does nothing really to help out defensively, lazy, loses. Remember a couple of years ago, they played the Capitals. I think it was 2015. I was up all the way on the top of the Coliseum watching the game. Kuznetsov scores the game winner in overtime because this Tavares broke a stick for the third time. While that that's maybe bad luck, but it was just like maybe you're chaos with a stick, holding it with one hand, losing your stick. Well, that's kind of like the small details. Look back three or four or five years ago and go, you know what? I saw it. He was lazy at a bunch of times. And for Barzal, he's not lazy at all. I think it's just when you don't turn the puck over, that makes you. I mean, McKinnon doesn't turn the puck over. McDavid, they don't. That's why they're superstar players because when they don't turn the puck over, they make more of their offensive zone time. Barzal, I'm not going to say a lot of goals that he that the Islanders give up are Barzal's fault. But when you're in the offensive zone and you're doing your dangling, look at Hosang. I don't know if Flyer fans know a lot about Josh Hosang. He, he, he was up, on my list to ask you about, too. Yeah, he comes up, and he's a wizard with the puck. Passing ability, skating, all that. When he had the puck on the ring when he first came up, it was must-watch hockey. But then Barzal comes up, and you go, you know what? Barzal's just 20 times more responsible than um, Hosang will probably ever be in this league. And quickly, Barzal became that guy. Hosang doesn't get a chance. Hosang, another team, brilliant. He's probably a brilliant player. Put him with superstar players. I mean, look at it. It's like Anthony Duclair when he's bouncing around. That's a guy that's an unreal player, but in the wrong system, in the wrong play, he does nothing. And then you look what he does this year with the Ottawa Senators. Yes, it's a bad team. He's playing more minutes than he would ever expect to play another team. But look what he does with that um, that extra time. But Hosang, I mean, you wanted to mention him. I think he could be... A great NHL player on another team. The problem was he had discipline issues. He didn't like listening to authority. I know his first game ever, uh, excuse me, first practice or training camp, showed up to Nassau Coliseum late. He overslept. Garth Snow, the one good thing Garth Snow did, he made Ho Seng run the stairs at Nassau Coliseum after he was done running, put him back on the bus and sent him to Bridgeport. <laughs> I mean, your first day ever, you can't sleep in. Whatever, I don't. There's no, there is no excuse. Your alarm doesn't go off. I mean. I don't even know if I'm sleeping the day before my training camp. I'm dressed. I'm probably home dressing my equipment. I'm ready to go and all that kind of stuff. But you look at yeah, Hosang. I know he's playing overseas now. He signed a contract with some team in, I'm not sure what league it was. I don't think it, it's the KHL, but it, it might be actually. It could be the KHL. And he'll probably have great success there. But I think, you know, when Barzal came up and showed that, wow, he is Hosang on steroids. Not literally, but obviously, like, you know, he's a guy well, that. As far as we know. Maybe we yes, want to yeah. look into that now. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to run that test. I don't, I don't want, if they do that, I don't want to know. Make it like injuries. It's either upper body. I don't want to hear about it. You heard it here to first. Play. Barzal no. on steroids. No, no. I mean, but you look at it, it's just like Barzal was just a, he showed a lot more than what Hosang could bring to the table and they ran with it. I guarantee if Hosang was reversed, Barzal comes up from the poke over a lot and then Hosang comes up and Hosang doesn't. You're probably looking at, I mean, obviously Barzal probably, get, he's just a different kind of talent. It's not to the level Hosang was. They saw that quickly. This is why Hosang is not playing with the Islanders. I mean, there's a reason, I mean, they call up Wallstrom this year. They call up Bellows. There was no reason why Hosang couldn't be brought up. He probably does better, if not the same, what they did. They didn't really do much after, you know, one game of success or two for Keeper Bellows. He had one game against LA Kings. He scored two goals. I think he had a goal against Dallas. The next six or seven games, nothing. Hosang could have done that, more, more likely than not. But I think, I think Barzal's, Coming to his own, the same time that Hosang was trying to make a name for himself, really, really impacted Hosang for the worse, and that's why he's not playing with the Islanders.
Didn't Hussang wear 66 somewhere? He did. He did. I love that. Fuck Lemieux. Wear, wear whatever number you want. <laughs> if well, it's not retired, fucking wear it. No, yeah. I mean, I, I know there was a time when he, he asked. I, I don't know if he asked Mary Lemieux and everyone's like, wow. But it just brought on to the, uh, the obedience issues, the respect for authority, just the respect level for his coaches. And it just, when he did that, it was like, Oh, he doesn't respect for a guy like Lemieux, and it's like obviously that's not the case. He wore, he's wore, he, but he probably wore that number because of Lemieux. It's not like he's like, oh, let me just, you know, let me taint Lemieux's uh, reputation by wearing his number. I mean, sorry, should John Tavares have ever won 91 with Butch Goring having done what he did with the team? No way. They should have. Well, first off, the Islanders did it. They should have. Butch Goring should have been up there with everybody else. He was such a key to their their forced Emily Cups. It's not even funny. He's probably the biggest piece for that team like even though he played i what third i mean i obviously i wasn't even a thought um at that time by a long shot but i mean looking back and everyone talking about him it's it's why wasn't his number retired with everybody else why tonelli the same thing i mean this year they put their their uh, numbers and uh, their jerseys to the rafters but it was well overdue so Tavares should never go 91 because butch Gorn was such a key piece and islander fans growing up with Tavares go when you think of 91, who are you thinking of? It's, oh, it's Tavares. You look at play, uh, people that watch them win the Cups, it was, oh, but scoring. When Tavares wears it, it's like, well, well, that's that's not – you're not attaining a reputation, but Butch scoring is getting lost. And with Tonelli, I mean, he talked to Anders Lee. Anders Lee wears the same number. And Tonelli, during his speech, I remember him, he says, I, um, I'm i so happy that a captain of the Islanders that I respect this much wears my number. And you saw Anders Lee, like, during his speech, when Anders Lee was tearing up because he knows how much – you know, it means to see a guy like that, what he did for the Islanders franchise, Lee following and trying to follow in his footsteps and lead by example. And it was just really cool to see. But I, yeah, I mean, Hosang, it's not, Lemieux's not in that organization. It's not part of the team. It's, it's one thing if Sidney Crosby wore Lemieux's number and it's like, well, you can't, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Lemieux is retired by the Penguins. Is it not? So by the Penguins. Yeah. But they, I think the, the, like the gentleman's rule is that it's retired upon the league. But if there's no agreement, like it is for Gretzky, then who the fuck cares? Yeah, I mean, do I think Gretzky's number should retire throughout everything? He did change the game of hockey, but that's same thing like, all right, so then Berdor's number can never be worn by a goalie because he completely changed the game for goaltenders. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Berdor is one of my idols growing up. I, I watched him. He was awesome with the Devils. Obviously, when, when he left the Devils, I thought that was a mistake. I'd rather him just retire. Same way Lundqvist, as much as I hate the Rangers. I mean, Lundqvist, I, I mean, I respect anyone that's willing to step in front of a hundred mile an hour shot every single day, go down, do what you have to do leadership too. both Bordor and Lundqvist were huge leaders on their teams. And I think that, you know, credit to them. doesn't matter who you play for. If you're willing to do that and sacrifice as much as they do, I mean, their legs are going to be killing them when they retire Bordor. I mean, we know catchers in baseball, like your knees are done. Like you were, you're risking pretty much having a, a great life afterwards with able to do what you want to do, walking. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff you don't really think about as a player, but it's true. Like, even me, my shoulders are shot. I probably need surgery, but I mean, I played for the love of the game. I'm not worrying about that now. That's a later thing. But, I mean, those guys, should literally has their, their numbers retired. I'm pretty sure Bordeaux, they have a statue in front of the Prudential Center now with his. I know Lemuse during, um, I mean, we're not getting obviously political, but during the riots earlier, they, they destroyed yeah. his destroyed his statue and obviously i'm not going to comment on it because again i'm not i'm not in a situation to do that and i don't want to but you know these teams obviously idolize these players but hosang do whatever you want obviously we don't have to worry about him anymore he's gone and again it, as much as i felt bad for his situation he didn't get the you know the opportunities he deserved it's all about first impressions his first impression with the islanders was terrible and it lasted <laughs> you know they say they say you know, you don't get another chance. First impressions really make or break you. And for Hosang, if he showed up to practice on time and listened to coaches right off the bat, 
it's probably a different narrative. He didn't do that. So everything he did afterwards was I mean, even just wearing number 66 on a team that never had a guy like Lemieux wear that number should never be a problem. And it's probably not a problem with anyone else around the league because he had such a backstory and baggage to go with him. Yeah. It was a problem. Speaking of uh, speaking of big names, uh, you said you can do whatever you want when you had a career like Brodeur. If I have to watch another one of his Enterprise commercials, I'm going to hang myself. Oh, they're, they're great. Even though we all know that his, he doesn't have, like, 10-year-old kids. His I mean, he has a son that got drafted by the Devils and plays goalie. He's probably yeah. 30-something now. So you're telling me that his kids are – you're not fooling anyone. But, no, I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, his reflexes on those saves, though, when he goes bang, 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 and stops all those. I mean, he definitely could do that in real life. So, no, they're – I could take those over the – um. I can't stand the uh, what is it the emu commercial? What which company oh is that? Oh my god, the blue emu one. See uh, the thing with the thing with commercials from the emu. What is it? Um, oh, it's not it's not it's not Allstate or whatever is it? No, uh, it's um, right. Liberty Mutual. Company. Liberty Mutual. And it's just like you can't. I mean, the thing is to me is like how many people see those commercials before they launch them? The hockey ones I could take like Bordeaux. You know, they, they think it's cool. It's you know, it's hockey and it's related and obviously, but you know, bringing an emu, I just. <laughs> how many people? How many? But no, how many people saw that and went, "Let's do it." Like, how much money? Yeah, yeah. And the one thing is that they probably did is you think of commercials or jingles. Now, every time you think of it, you think we just thought about Liberty Mutual in ten seconds. Based on that, negative attention is still attention. I mean, I, we see that in writing all the time, or things right. that players do. Is I mean, I had an article earlier in the year about Robin Leonard, and I got well. First off, it was taken completely out of context. I was my article was about um, does Leonard deserve a long term deal? In the article, I can consp- I say. Yes, he does. Will he get it based on his past with mental health? No, he's not. And I explained why. And some uh, mental health awareness, again, I'm not blaming them, but they took a screenshot of my thing and highlighted that I said like a black cloud over him or or he should I said, or he should be happy that he gets to play. And when I, you know, I wrote the article, there were some words that I probably, you know, I'm not a mental health expert. There was definitely things that maybe I should have taken more to heart, how it would affect people. And I, you know, the thing that killed me was I didn't really care what they thought. Robin Leonard quoted it and ah. said, New day, same narrative. And as a guy that, as an Islander fan, I loved Leonard. You know, he was awesome. It hit, it hurt a lot to see that my words affect him like that. So what I did was, I told my um, editor, I'm like, take it down. You know what? Let's take it down. Let me write. Let me write an open apology. And I pretty much in that apology was just writing about how I was like, listen, I, I'm an Islander fan. I said it in the article. It was taken out of context that you definitely deserve it, but it's a business. And are you are are as a, if you play the role of general manager, which is I wanted to say to the file, uh, the people that commented, like people were saying like oh I should be shot, like just the craziest things for what I said about mental health. And I mean I obviously didn't think I deserved it, but as a as a you th- if they could think from a general manager standpoint, all right, Robin Leonard was pretty much he was an alcoholic, he had mental health issues, he would after a game finish a case of beers or something like that. He talked to the athletic about it. You know, he wasn't, he had nervous breakdowns in a locker room. You're telling me you're going to give him a six-year deal on the, what is it, on the off chance that it happens? I hope not. He looks, he looks amazing. He's focused. He's driven. He's quit all that. He's, he looks like a great human being and really turned around his life. And I'm so happy about that because again, this hockey is a tight-knit community and all that, but you're not offering him a six-year deal. You're not offering him a four-year deal because on the off chance you relapse, you lose money and it's a business. It's a business first. In the article, I said that. I said, again, his stats deserving of a long-term contract will he get it based on his circumstances no and again i got ripped apart leonard saw what i wrote and actually dm'd me and was like i want to thank you not many writers have the balls to do what you did you know it was great to see but it's just you know you look at things happen where we write and people take things out of context or even Mm -hmm. things you say like that such a dangerous it's such a dangerous world we live in because 
everyone's open to their opinions, but it comes to a point where, you know, you, you take snippets. That was the biggest thing for me is if Leonard read the article, like the full article, I don't think he could have a problem with it because in the back of his head, he knows, he knows that it's going to be really hard to get it. He could do, he could be lights out Vesna trophies back to back years, and it's still going to be tough for him to get a deal. It was the fact that they took snippets of one bad thing I said, because you know, uh, you know what? I shouldn't have said what I said. It was a mistake I made. I owned up to it. But the fact was that they took the one snippet of an article. Right. And, twisted and just, it all up. and it was a mental health page with That's thousands funny. of followers. That's Twitter. Mental thousands of followers. And, made that the narrative to get attention for them. The, the guy read, whoever posts from that site read the whole article and decided, you know what? Let me just take the part that says black clutter that he'd just be happy he's playing instead of taking exactly what I said. Right. That so gets I, recognition it, for him. And that's all, that's, that's all it's about these days. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of forgot what you even asked me when I went on that tangent, but it just goes <laughs> to show. Yeah. I mean, it, man. it's something that, you know, happens. And we, again, in today's world, especially what's happening right now, again, I'm not getting political. It's do I make a tweet today? I mean, yeah. I made a tweet. I made a tweet today that said the NHL games postponed. I lost four followers. That's not my news. Just I'm making just making a statement. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's you know, if if I'm quiet, that means I don't care. If I say something, well, I'm gonna get, you know, ridicule either side. There's no safe way. It's such a dangerous, especially social media. I've talked to people that I look up to. I'm Molly Walker, the Islander. She does a great job. She was like, you know what? You just gotta be careful what you do. I mean, today I wanted uh, puck pros, who I write for and everything. Today they, you know, they talked in our chat and said. You know, I think we should boycott today. No writing, don't do articles. And regardless of where anybody stands, you know, for us, it was, you know what? It's bigger than hockey. It's bigger than sports right now. It's what's going on. But is today, is today a date, is, excuse me, is tomorrow a better day to type? Can I tweet out tomorrow morning? I don't know. And it's a very dangerous world. And you look at it like as us, we, we're talking hockey right now. People are going to have a problem that we talked hockey today. You know, I thought about that actually. And uh, I, I guess the decision to go on and and do the show. I mean, uh, this is I'm going to release this. Uh, we're going to release this Saturday morning, right before you know the game and whatnot. But I did think about that because a lot of uh, pods and you know writing and and sites chose to not talk about anything today or to boycott. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, like it's, I it's said, what, I, is, what what is the right? What is it's not even the moral thing. It's like everyone, your right is someone else's wrong, and it's like for our show yesterday, we recorded last night. We went we went live last night. Our show's a weekly. Just a quick shout out. It usually is Tuesdays or Wednesdays. I think next week it's gonna be Monday. But we do a two hour show talking hockey, baseball, and it was we're not gonna bring up anything political. But for the fact that we're not bringing up anything political, is that a problem? And they have shows this network that we work Worldwide Sports Radio Network where they were talking about politics. And for me in my situation, I just don't think that's, I can't get myself to do that because I don't have the facts. I don't have the, you know, I'm not in the environment these people, certain people are in that have, that could, they have the power to voice their opinions on a matter. They've seen, they've been in places, you know, I'm a white, I'm a white kid from Long Island in a, in a you know, a, a solid middle-class neighborhood. Like I don't have, a, I don't have anything to say that could help because I'm not, you know, I'm not in a situation where this affects me to the extent that it affects other people. And, we decided today that we weren't going to, you know, we record our show, we release it the next day on Spotify, all that kind of stuff. And I said to my partner, I said, you know what, let's just not do it. Let's just not do it. Let's not that we want to be quiet because, you know, we don't want to speak our mind and say something wrong. We're scared of getting in trouble. That wasn't it. It was just, what am I going to say that's going to, you know, you got to watch. That's all I got. You just got to, it's really hard to just, you have to watch every little thing you do. Even me tweeting NHL news say that games were postponed for the, 
for what happened. I had I a got, day. I had I a got, day on Twitter yeah. too. Well, I mean, I, I, so uh, I like to watch what I say, but I also, and I, I want to wrap up in a couple of minutes because yeah. I don't want to keep everybody too late, but I, I, I feel like in a day and age where it feels like we're censoring ourselves, if, if I know that I'm a good person and I know that I'm not going to say anything wrong, that's going to, you know, if, if you get offended from what I say, and it's coming from a good place, in my opinion. You have to work on yourself. You know what I mean? Because I'm not. I'm not talking. To, I don't know how to explain it. No, I'm not talking about anybody specifically. So if you take offense, you should ask yourself why you're taking offense. And that's you know what I mean? the biggest thing what we've been seeing is people backlashing what the NHL has done. And if you believe right or wrong what the NHL is doing, and you come in and say, "Well, I'm pissed off that there's a hockey game not being played." That's a, that's a problem. Not even that you one that that you thought that given the light, but that you said it. Right. You know, nothing leaves the internet. What you say, we've seen in the past where, you know, baseball specifically, where people are making racist comments, and then ten years ago, before they even got even close, and it's coming back to bite them. I mean, if you have the audacity to, you know, believe what you want about the NHL doing what they did, all the other major league uh, teams were protesting all that stuff. The right thing to do is not play. Put your caring aside. The right thing to do is not play. And you can't really debate that because regardless if they're doing it because it's the right thing to do or to save their image, they, they, they can't play. They can't right. play. It's a bad look. And obviously the players didn't want to play. Multiple teams said, I don't want to play. The league backed them. I liked when the league backs rather than the league enforces because then they, if the, the players say they don't want to play, the league backing them shows that, hey, we appreciate what our players do and what our players stand for. Rather than a league going... Like in baseball today, we could even, baseball today, uh, Rob Manfred told the Mets what to do. Uh, to I hadn't go- watched that video yet. But okay, I'm so I didn't watch the video either, but um, quickly, he told the Mets pretty much go on the field at 7 o'clock, uh, do a moment of silence for what happened, and then walk off the field, but then come back on at 8.30 because he wanted the game to be played. So he was using the Mets as a ploy pretty much to show – that baseball quote unquote cares. And the Mets players said, we don't want to come back out there. I'm not even sure if they did. Cause you know, I was out doing things. They were supposed to come back on an eight twenty. people were watching and I don't know if they did or not, but that's a, that's an example of the league doing something to force it. The players didn't even want to play. And he was like, you have to play. And they're like, no, we don't want to play. That's a problem. You look at the NHL and it's the players talk first. And then NHL made a decision based on what the players. And I think that's a huge thing. It's a huge yeah, difference. I agree. I agree, and you know, Stefan, I don't, I don't mean to cut the show short here, yeah. but we are uh, a little bit over an hour. Um, it's going to be a long series, so I'm hoping we can get you back on. Definitely, uh, Josh, if you want to take us home, man. Yeah, uh, Stefan. I mean, thank you so much for your insight. We got some really good things to think about in this series. And uh, where can people reach you on Twitter if they want to see your, uh, your thoughts? Yep, so my Twitter is at S-T-E-F-E-N underscore R-O-S-N-E-R. You can find us there. Um, my show links, everything's there. I'm pretty much on Twitter all day writing with Puck Bro. So yeah, definitely check me out if you're an Islander fan. Obviously, you guys are flyers, so they might not want to go down that dark road to an Islander page. <laughs> Next but week. Yeah. Go, so, take a, go uh, check uh, out a different perspective, guys. Go no, check out yeah, some definitely. of his stuff. He's a really, really good writer. Uh, I appreciate I know that. Stefan from Puck Bros. That's how... Uh, you know, we, we got talking. So definitely check out Stefan's stuff for sure. Appreciate that. Our pleasure, man. So, yeah, let's wrap up, Josh.
All right, guys. So thank you so much for tuning in to episode four of The Bright Side. I hope you got a little bit of perspective on this Philly Islanders uh, series from the other side, from the bad side, as we would say on our side. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. My name is Josh Bright. And for Jim, for Steph, have a great week, boys. Thanks, guys.